0: On the 2nd of November 2022, the House of Commons passed a motion that called for the Office of the Auditor General of Canada to conduct a performance audit of the government's management of the ARRIVE-CAN application. 149 Liberal members of Parliament voted against the audit. Conservative Bloc and NDP voted in favour, hence it has taken place. The Auditor General of Canada, Karen Hogan, and her office conducted the audit with the results released this week. The Auditor General joins me now. First of all, uh, Karen, thank you so much for finding time. Um, I just thought maybe we would start with this. Uh, Just bring everybody up to speed. What does the Office of the Auditor General do?
1: Uh so we we do a lot of things, but they're all linked around auditing the public service, the federal public service. So we would do financial audits, um, most importantly of the government of Canada, but we would also audit Crown corporations. Um, and so that's how the audit the audit the office, excuse me, was created for that was actually to audit the accounts of Canada. um but we are very much known for our performance audit work, which is where we go into departments and agencies and determine whether they have carried out. Um, programs or service delivery with due regard to what I'll say is the four E's, economy, efficiency, effectiveness, and the environment. Um, So we might not always cover those, but we always try to make sure that we look at value for money. So was taxpayer money spent in a prudent way. So the most important thing to know about our work is that we report to Parliament. Parliament. Um, So I am an an independent agent of Parliament, which means I'm accountable to both the House and the Senate, Um, and our work is then used by parliamentarians to hold the federal government to account for how they've delivered on policy and how they've spent public funds.
0: Well, in that regard, obviously, the ArriveCan app and the application has really grabbed people's attention. I think it was originally budgeted, as I said, at $80,000. It only came in 750 times more than that as a uh, as a starting point. But you sum this whole thing up by saying it's the worst bookkeeping I think you'd ever seen. Uh, uh, let me just elaborate on what jumps out at you for that. I mean, you've been doing this a long time, but uh, you entered the Auditor General's office after a career career. in in auditing and accounting in 2006. That's 18 years ago, so that's quite a statement.
1: Um, and and I mean that statement really takes me back to the fact that I've been an auditor for for almost three decades now, and mm-hmm. not just my time here at the Auditor General's office. In um, in it is because what I would call some of the most basic elements of good financial management controls and good record keeping uh, were were absent in so many cases. At times we saw some that some invoices that were really well. Um, documented contracts, well managed and well entered into the financial records. But for the most part, that's not what we found. We found some basic elements like uh, what Skills uh, it, workers should have in order to work on a contract, just not listed out. And then invoices were missing basic elements such that we couldn't determine whether um, the, the, the fees that had been charged related to the ArriveCan application or another IT project that was on the way um, at the Canada Border Services Agency. And, and that basic uh, information should be there.
0: Uh, let's start with what you estimate the cost of this was. As I say, originally budgeted eighty thousand came in. You know, I, I can't even do the math anymore. But okay, so as a taxpayer, how much did this overall thing cost?
1: So we estimated that the arrived can application cost fifty nine and a half million dollars, and and it is an estimate, uh, and because of the really poor financial records that we had. It could be less, it, it could be a little more. And I guess what I would caution is comparing it to the 80,000, um, that mm-hmm. was really to digitize a form, right? To take something that was in paper format and, and automate it and make it electric, uh, electronic. It didn't consider a lot of the other factors like security that needed to be around that form, ex- the how, how individuals might ex- access it across three different operating systems. Um, the bilingualism, the need to link with provinces, all of that, which is complex, which, which means that it will cost more um, than than what we've been hearing, isn't an excuse, however, to throw out all the rules and uh, and not make sure that you're spending money in a prudent and wise way and and we just didn't see that happening here.
0: I'm wondering about the cooperation because I I mentioned right at the outset, you know, all the Liberal members voted against having this audit, but it was more than that. We've heard reports of emails being uh, deleted, reports of reprisals against uh, whistleblowers. I mean, I remember the case where two federal managers were suspended without pay for suggesting that the Canada Border Service Agency executives lied when they were giving testimony. Uh, We got Public Works Minister uh, Jean-Yves Duclos uh, declining to answer, I think it was 32 times that who hired this company, uh, GC Strategies, uh, just Wednesday uh, this week. We had uh, the Canada Border Service, uh, Services Agency President Erin O'Gorman testify in front of the committee, but didn't answer when she was asked who within the Canada Border Service Agency was responsible for collecting and storing these documents. I mean, I'm just wondering, that can't be an easy audit to me. It's not like everybody was saying, come on in and I'll help you.
1: So we we actually got really good cooperation from uh, the three departments that were in this audit, which was the Canada Border Services Agency, the Public Health Agency of Canada, and Public Service and Procurement Canada. Um, I think the hard part here is that so much of what would normally be found in official corporate records and documentation was missing. It was really thin in some instances. So that basic question of who decided to award a contract to uh, the the first vendor uh, back in March of 2020, um, GC Strategies, is is not well documented, or the why awarding it to them. It was a non-competitive contract. And, and while that's allowed in the public service, it comes with a lot of... Uh, documentation that needs to prove that you've assessed that they have the skills and competencies to deliver, but that you've also considered other proposals, right, that you try to at least make sure that you're getting good value for the services um, that, that you're procuring. And all of that that would normally be available was just not there.
0: And as you say, normally, I think all of us do it in our uh, private lives. When there's a significant amount of money on the line, we shop and compare, (laughs) you know, we ask, what are we going to get for this stuff? So, uh, you know, it's, that's what I think is a bit of a head shaker. And now we find out by the way, and it wasn't part of your audit and it may be forthcoming, who knows, but that that company received, you know, something like a quarter billion dollars worth of contracts, uh, with, uh, with about 46 of them not put out to tender. And I want to talk more about that when things aren't put out to tender so you don't get that comparative value op- uh, assessment there. Uh, how normal is that?
1: So normally... Uh, a- processes to procure goods and services in the federal public service are competitive and and competition is great to ensure that you have many vendors bidding for the same thing that will hopefully bring keep the price down and result in better value Mm -hmm. for taxpayer money spent but at times there is the need to either act quickly or for other reasons to not use a competitive process. But even then, you typically um, go out and at least solicit informal quick bids from a few vendors. You still try to make sure that you drive a little bit of competition. And and that happened here where three vendors were approached by the Canada Border Services Agency. Um, Only one proposal, however, was received. That proposal was not From GC Strategies, and yet the non competitive contract was awarded to GC Strategies. So, again, you know, I actually think it's a bit of a head scratcher as to why this wasn't all well documented when um, it traditionally should be.
0: Uh, The other thing, and and please uh, obviously correct me if I I misread this, but looking at the report, it seemed also at times that some of the criteria for selection were so unique that you had to come up. It would be sort of like in this case with us, uh, the interviewer must have gray hair and a red tie and a slightly blue shirt with a messy painting behind him, you know, so it was only going to end up in one place. And, and uh, did I read that correctly? It just seems some, sometimes the terms are so narrow that we pretty much knew who was getting that contract.
1: Yeah, so if we take ourselves back to uh, the start of the pandemic, when all of this was happening and the need to develop the application was there to improve um, the, the monitoring of health measures at the border, uh, it was a reasonable ex expectation to do a non-competitive contract and to reach out to a third party to help because Both the Canada Border Services Agency and the Public Health Agency of Canada um, had assessed that they didn't have the skills and more importantly the capacity at that time to do this. Um, So it was good to see that after uh, a non-competitive contract, Canada Border Services Agency was moving to a competitive contract. Um, Mm -hmm. But what we found here is that the agency allowed the vendor to be involved in setting some of the selection criteria and it was very narrow and restrictive that it likely limited competition and in the end And GC Strategies was the only uh, vendor to respond to the competitive bid and hence were then given the competitive contract um, later on. And that kind of involvement from a third party in setting selection criteria should just not happen. And that's why we issued a recommendation to the Canada Border Services Agency to ensure that that does not happen going forward.
0: Well, obviously, as you just mentioned, the pandemic was a difficult time, and you know the public service was you know they they got to act right away, or that was their instructions. But does that excuse the fact that you, as you said earlier, and we're talking some basic or fundamental policies that have been there, you know, established for ages about you know rules or controls in in awarding contracts or managing the project, that kind of stuff. I mean, does that excuse that we're talking really the basics?
1: So, again, uh, I feel like I'm doing this a lot. I'm taking us back to a time that most of us probably don't want to remember, which was the start of the pandemic, where things were, I mean, so uncertain and there was just so much going on and it was constantly evolving. And at that period of time, the secretary of the treasury board um, provided uh, a letter to the public service saying, in order to support Canadians, we need the federal public service to be quick and agile and responsive. And so they were given permission to relax some of the rules or to avoid some of the the hoops that normally they would jump Uh through. But it was very clear that the public service needed to still be able to document its critical decisions and demonstrate um, due diligence and, more importantly, accountability to Canadians for money that was spent. Um, so, in my view, the fact that these basic things were missed here um, is you know, the pandemic can't be used as an excuse. An emergency isn't a reason, as I said before, to throw all the rules out the window. It's a reason to just make sure that along the way you document. Bits and pieces here and there, um, because you you might get overwhelmed and it might be just too much as things move along, um, and and just that documentation or demonstration uh, of uh, good accountability and transparency didn't happen here. Do
0: you, do you look at okay, so trying to assess what money was spent, how it was spent. Do you do the benefit side, like the cost? Yes. And the benefit side, was there any way of measuring what did we get for this? Because, uh, you know, the the app was widely panned, and uh, it doesn't look like it was overused. Let's, let's put it that way. But do you look at that side of the equation also? Or does your office look at that side?
1: So uh, we didn't do what I guess most people in the investment world would look at, which is a return on investment assessment. But we did look to whether or not um, Canadians received the value for taxpayers' funds. And our conclusion there was that no, Canada did not receive uh, the best value for for money spent. In fact, I would tell you that uh, the federal government paid too much for this application. But I would highlight I guess, two, two, two value aspects that we did look at. at the Early on in the pandemic, uh, you might recall that we should a reported in 2021 around border measures. We actually had two. And in the second one, yep. uh, we followed up on, how the government had improved um, following up with travelers. And some of that was because of ARRIVE CAN. The fact that now they could collect um, more accurate, the quality of the information was better and more timely information to allow for better follow-up. So for for example, to make sure that an individual had actually been quarantining over 14 days, the paper form, was taking at times 28 days to make its way to the public health agency. So hard to follow up on a 14-day quarantine. Um, Then I would tell you that there's an enduring sort of value to to the application and that the Canada Border Services Agency uh, is now used this and springboarded to digitize The advanced declaration form for customs and immigration. So something you might have traditionally filled out sitting on a plane when you travel back into Canada is now digital and and it could expedite um, getting through customs. Um, All of that being said, it doesn't mean that you should pay more than you should for uh, an application. and, And in my view, we paid too much for this.
0: Yeah. And that's always the challenge is, is I'm, I'm big on the cost benefit analysis of, of everything. I, I welcome it. But, uh, you know, you started off by saying you're there. And I, I perceive that your office is the taxpayer's best friend. Uh, you know, did I get value? I'm not debating whether they should have done it. It's a policy decision. But given they're doing it am I getting value for that? And we heard, and it wasn't your office, but we heard from uh, the parliamentary budget office that they'd done no cost benefit analysis, for example, on any of basically any of the environmental policies they put forward. Like, what did we get for it? So I think that's, you know, I'm still there. An important piece of that puzzle needs to be determined by the public too. I mean, I'd say this, the public's got a role to play here. I mean, they can't just go to sleep on all of this stuff. And uh, if they want more value for money, they've got to demand it. It's not for your office or the PBO to to do that. But let me, let me come to one more a- aspect that I found a bit troublesome that I, I, I wouldn't have guessed at without reading your work. And that is, it looks like, you know, some employees of the Canada Border Services uh, didn't tell their supervisors at least or comply with the agency's code of conduct. I mean, Kind of, they gone out for dinner and do some sort of those corporate smoozing events, you know, and activities with the contractors.
1: So I recognize that developing relationships with with vendors is something that's very commonplace um, in in the normal work environment. And in the federal public service, where you have to make sure that not only do you have, you are are free of conflict of interest, but you also have the appearance of being free of conflict of interest, um, is why the public service has a really strict code of conduct. And in this case, the, the Canada Border Services Agency has a code of conduct that required if any employee received an invitation to a private event, whether they attended the event or not, they should be informing their supervisor. And and that's done for a few reasons. One is so that the supervisor can decide whether mitigation measures should be put in place um, since this this happened. Uh, But most importantly, it's to uh, minimize that appearance of a conflict of interest or the view that there could have been bias made in uh, some of the procurement decisions that occurred. And we saw no evidence of that reporting by employees to their supervisors. So that really creates a significant risk um, when you're sitting back and looking at whether or not these procurement decisions were, were properly done. Um, and, you know, mo- many of our recommendations, I would call them really common sense in this audit report um, mm-hmm. because some of the most basic common things you wanted to see uh, weren't there. And, and I would expect that they should be implemented pretty quickly.
0: Uh, let me finish with this because this is really troubling for me. This is a, a, a work that you've done on a particular project, the ArriveCAN Can app. One of the things you told me uh, in the past, told our audience in the past is anytime you get a couple of departments together, responsibility and accountability sort of gets more difficult, you know, within that framework. But man, can I, I, I just can't believe the theme of at times mismanagement, etc., has been echoed from Denny de Sotel and of course, uh, Sheila Fraser, you know, the late Michael Ferguson, you know, who looked at uh, at the Phoenix pay system and said it was incomprehensible how poorly it was managed. And, and now we arrive here. Uh, I think it's discouraging. For me as a taxpayer, it undermines my confidence in the system or, you know, in government as a system and expenditures. And I, I just, as I say, I find it depressing. I could have read this kind of a report, 20, twenty years ago thirty years ago forty years ago out of the auditor general i
1: mm-hmm. I have to admit that for for me it's uh it is a huge head scratcher to see the the absolute glaring disregard for some of the most basic uh, practices, principles, and policies that we would normally see the public service public service follow, and it's just not about record keeping. It was, as you say, about project management and good oversight, and and there was confusion here too at the start of the pandemic between the Canada Border Services Agency and the Public Health Agency of Canada. Um, neither agreed on what their roles would be. They both felt the other would um, set up uh, good governance structures, and and in the end, there was. Um, no oversight, no governance, no goals, no objectives. And so, you know, the, the big finding of, you know, the, the value of this really boils down to how do you manage to a budget when you actually don't have a budget? Um, and, and you know, I know the public service can do better. We've looked at other contracts throughout the pandemic. And while we have opportunities for improvement, they did do better. They were able to still demonstrate Um, prudent use of public funds and and, and the due diligence they exercise. But here it was just um, an accountability void and that really shouldn't have happened.
0: Well, I mean, I'm thankful for your office and the work you do. And I always encourage people to go read the reports of the Auditor General's office because it's our money. And I'm that basic. Speaking of basic, I'm that basic. You know, my personal biggest expenditure is taxation. You know, it's it's over my house. It's over my food. It's over, you know, all sorts of things. So getting value for money as your office focuses on is, is an absolute key. So I'm going to start by just saying or finish by saying thank you. Thank you to all your people and all the work you do and know that it is resonating, at least with some of us who care how our tax dollars go. I wish it would resonate higher up on the uh, on the political chain, because I, I've been shocked that this is never an issue. You know, we had the 2000, and I'll just put this out, it's just me saying it, but, you know, both 2019, 2021 federal elections, they did the big leaders debate, not a single question about how our money was managed. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter who was in power, not a single question about, and this is despite some audits that were pretty, you know, eye-opening and shocking in some regards. Still not a question. So we we'll remain to be seen what the public does to it. But I know what you guys have done is first class work. So thank you.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much. And I think that that's one of the good things about um, the Federal Public Service in Canada is that uh, transparency and accountability, even when things are done wrong, are, are taken seriously. And, and that's a role that we get to play is to try and support that ac- accountability and transparency. And, and I do hope that folks go read our audit reports. We're trying really hard at making them um, shorter, easier to digest with some visuals and, and, and hopefully, um, uh, you know, folks will think it's a good read.
0: Yeah. And, and seriously, you know, the summaries, the summarization, the points to focus on are all there. So easy, easy stuff. Thanks so much for finding time for us. No, it's much appreciated.
1: Thank you for having me.